to 2 Samuel chapter 1, 2 Samuel chapter 1, and we'll begin reading verse number 17. That volume's different again. There we go. All right. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse number 17. Ladies, I often ask the Lord to allow me to preach something that is, uh, let's say, consistent with the theme of the day. If we're having a baby dedication, try to preach on parenthood to some extent. And whatever the holiday is, if it's in any way related to something spiritual, I try to keep pace with that, if the Lord allows. But the key phrase is, if the Lord allows. So he's giving me something different to preach on, as you maybe can tell by the songs we're singing. And you can now see the outline that you should have in your hand. I'm preaching a sermon today called, How Are the Mighty Fallen? How are the mighty fallen? So please do not think that this is directed in any way towards mothers. <laughs> Although I do consider you on the front lines of the spiritual battle at all times. Uh, but I believe this is something a little more general in its scope. Second Samuel 1 verse 17. I'd like to sing you folks a song. I don't know if you've heard this. I, uh, can I say, grew up spiritually hearing this song, singing this song. If you hear the chorus and if it's at all familiar to you, please feel free to sing along with me. If you're in the battle for the Lord and right, keep on the firing line. If you win, my brother, surely you must fight. Keep on the firing line. There are many dangers that we all must face. If we die still fighting, it is no disgrace. Cowards in the service will not have a place, so who keep on the firing line. You must fight and be brave against all evil. Never run nor even lag behind. If you would fight for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. God will only use a soldier he can trust. Keep on the firing line. If you'll wear the crown, then bear the cross, you must. Keep on the firing line. Life is but to labor for the master, dear. Help to banish evil and to spread good cheer. Great you'll be rewarded for your service here. So keep on the firing line. You must fight and be brave again. Against all evil, never run nor even lag behind. If you would fight for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. When we get to heaven, brother, we'll be glad. So keep on the firing line. How we'll praise the Savior for the call we had. Keep on the firing line. When we see the souls that we have helped to win, leading them to Jesus from the paths of sin, with a shout of welcome we will all march in, so keep on the firing line. You must fight and be brave against all evil. Never run nor even lag behind. If you would fight for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. Amen. Second Samuel 1. 
I believe you'll see how this song fits the sermon today. Verse number 17, we pick up the story at a funeral. David is now offering this eulogy concerning the death of the former king, Saul. And he will specifically talk about Saul's son, Jonathan, a very dear friend of David. The Bible says in verse 17, And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son. Also he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ascalon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, for there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away. The shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions." Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with other delights, who put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen? And the weapons of war perished. If you would join me, please, in a word of prayer. Father, help us this morning. We thank you for the opportunity today to appreciate and make uh, feel special the mothers that are represented here. And Lord, I believe they deserve our attention, our appreciation. Father, please have your hand upon them in a special way this day. But also, Father, now as we turn our attention to the Word of God, please, Lord, I pray you'd speak to each heart. Put your finger on whatever it is in our lives that needs to change to become more pleasing to you and give us strength today so that we do not fall in the battle. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I can only imagine that David had some very mixed emotions as he gave this eulogy, right? He had been running from Saul for the better part of 10 years, maybe a little more than 10 years at this point. Saul had been trying to kill him. Jonathan, as you might know the story, had been a very good friend as much as he could be. And now Saul and Jonathan, along with Saul's other sons and the armies of Israel, they had gone out to battle against the Philistines and they were just decimated. Saul and his sons decapitated, hung up in the house of the Philistines gods just a horrible shameful end David he, although he he loved Jonathan he had a friendship with him he'd like to say some very specific things about Jonathan but he's at the state funeral he has to say some things about Saul as well and you'll notice the things that he has to say about Saul the compliments that are singularly about Saul verse 24 he bought them good clothes that's about as nice as he could talk about Saul. The other compliments towards Saul is mixed with Jonathan. Do you see that in there? 
So no doubt David had some mixed emotions. This was not an easy eulogy for him to make. But one phrase he continually used, this was the theme of the eulogy. How are the mighty fallen? You see that over and over again. How are the mighty fallen? These are the men that you would expect to stand for God and for the people of God and to defend them. That's what God anointed the king to do. And yet the mighty had fallen. Now obviously David means this in a physical way and we should understand it historically in a physical sense. Mighty physically, soldiers on the battlefield. The weapons of their warfare were carnal. And when David says, how are the mighty fallen? Notice there is an exclamation mark. Do you see that in each time? Verse 19, verse 25, verse 27. There's an exclamation mark. So he means it, I want to say, as a compliment. He's, he's, it's a commendation for the heroic service, for standing in battle. I want to rather take this sermon and use that same idea, how are the mighty fallen? But you can see on the outline... I have put a question mark after it. I'm using the same idea, but I'm going to turn it into a question. How are the mighty fallen? What is it that causes the mighty to fall? In David's exclamations, he's complimenting them. I think in the same exclamations, we are going to find some some possible shortcomings or weaknesses that cause the mighty to fall. Now, let me be quick to point out that in the day and age in which we live, there's not a whole lot of people that we might consider mighty men of God, mighty women of God. It's possible, but you don't see them all the time. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're told to take on the whole armor of God, right? And having done all, stand. Paul, he goes on to describe that Christian armor that we should every day have on. As he introduces that passage, he says, Now, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We have every reason to expect that a a saved person, man or woman, should be a mighty person for God. Standing in His strength, fighting the good fight of faith. If that phrase sounds foreign to you, then we're missing something from New Testament Christianity. That was a big theme throughout the New Testament. This is why Paul was constantly able to use soldiers as an analogy of what a Christian ought to be. But modern day Christianity seems to become quite soft. And I think it therefore calls for a sermon such as this from time to time to discuss not only what would make the mighty fall, but to remind us we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We need to keep on the firing line. You must fight and be brave. This is what is called for in the Christian life. We read of names like William Tyndale, John Patton, John Wesley. Maybe you know the names of Fanny Crosby, Charles Wesley. They're in your hymn book. These names live on with us because of the great exploits, the great heroic deeds they did for the Lord. When we think biblically, Timothy, Titus, Peter, James, Paul. These names stand out in our minds as mighty men of God. Elijah, Moses, right? David, mighty men of God. How many of you, when you hear the name Demas, go, wow, what a man of God. Anybody think of Demas in that way? 
You know there's a good reason that Demas does not bring to our mind mighty man of God? In Colossians 4, when Paul is saying goodbye to the Colossian church, he mentions Demas, uh, Demas, he says he sends greetings. Demas was walking with Paul. Now, Colossians was written while Paul was in prison. It was one of the last things he wrote. Now, even after Paul wrote Colossians, Paul wrote 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, as best we know, was the last thing that Paul wrote, the very last letter he wrote. You know what he writes at the end of that letter? He doesn't say, hey, Demas sends his greetings. He says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. The mighty had fallen. Unlike Timothy and Titus, who stuck it out, who endured unto the end, Demas laid his weapons down and no longer was fighting the good fight of faith. So I'm going to take the exclamations, turn them into questions today. I want to look in just three places. Verse number 19, we'll begin there. We can find a little insight as to what would make the mighty fall. Verse 19, the beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? If you have your outline and you want to fill it out, the first thing I think that would cause the mighty to fall is they get lifted up lifted up those are the two blanks for your outline lifted up in the verse it says they were slain upon the high places do you see that now in a battle as best I know and God knows I've never been a soldier in in the secular sense but from what I've read and what I know uh, it is a a very smart tactical position if you can take the high ground in a battle it offers many advantages in that fight I know this in a very small way. When you do MMA, one of the things you want to do is take your opponent down to the ground and achieve what they call the mount position where you're on top of the person and there are a lot of advantages, ground and pound. There are a lot of things you can do from that position. However, the danger is thinking now that I'm in that mount position, now that I'm on top, now that I've reached this high place, I'm safe, I cannot lose. And I believe that that's one of the things that can make the mighty fall. David, I think, meant it as a compliment. We should take it as a bit of a warning to say, yes, even though you have achieved a certain level, you've achieved something by by reaching this high point, don't let that slow you down from continuing to press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We've achieved a few things and maybe you have some good spiritual momentum. Do not let victory defeat you by thinking, yep, see what I've accomplished so far? That means I cannot fall. No, friend, you most certainly still can. I've given you the verse at the bottom of the page, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I want to be balanced in how I present this to you this morning. There, there's a couple of extremes that we need to be careful of. One might achieve that high position. They've climbed that spiritual mountain to a certain height and, and think, okay, now that I'm here, I'm going to stand by my convictions and I cannot fall. If I've already come this far, there's no way that I can go back. That's dangerous. Do you see that as one extreme? I cannot fall. I'll stand by my convictions. But then there's another extreme. You might hear this and go, okay, well, then I'm going to be scared to pieces that I will fall. I'm going to live my life in utter fear of failure 
and therefore I'm not even going to try. I won't even stand up because if I never stand, I can't fall. That's, that's another extreme that also will not get you anywhere. Both things will defeat you. Both things end, with, end up with you down. <laughs> and that's not the goal. Rather, I, I want to offer this balance this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Yes, I can stand. I can take the high position. I can be walking with God. I can be close to Him. And yes, I know that it's possible that I can fall, but I don't have to. By the grace of God, I can put on the armor of God and keep standing, keep pressing on, keep fighting the good fight of faith. And yes, I know that there will be challenges and I might get a little weak and stumble here and there, but by the grace of God, I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep fighting for what's right. I don't know how familiar you are with Greek mythology. There was a story in, amongst the ancient Greeks of a man named Icarus. Does anybody know this name, Icarus? Oh, a few of you do. Icarus, he was imprisoned on the island of Crete. This is obviously not true history. This is Greek mythology. but It's, it's a fancy story anyway. Icarus, his dad was a man named Dedalus. Dedalus, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Dedalus. And Dedalus, he, he had built the labyrinth. This is a very exotic maze, and very hard to get out of. He was a master builder of things. And in order to help his son Icarus escape from the Greek island of Crete, this prison, he was going to build him wings so that he could fly away. And the wings were made of feathers and wax. Now he built the wings and he gave them to Icarus and he says, my son, I want to warn you of two things. Number one, don't become complacent. Don't get complacent. Do not take lightly the resources and the opportunity you have around you. Do not get complacent. Number two, he warned him of, and the story goes, hubris, which is the fancy word for pride. Do not get lifted up. Do not, he warned him, do not fly too low, right? It's the island of Crete, so in order to get back to the mainland, you have to go over the water. He said, do not fly too low, because if you're too low, the moisture, the, 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 the humidity, if you will, from the water is going to dampen the wings, and you will fall into the water and drown. Nor should you fly too high, because if you get too high, you'll get close to the sun, and it will melt the wings, and you will likewise fall into the sea and drown. And as the story goes, Icarus takes off from the Isle of Crete and he thinks, I've got it all under control. This is going great. I want to see just how, how fun and fancy this can be. And off he goes close to the sun and the wings melted and down he crashed into the sea and he drowned. I actually, when I was studying this out and getting all the details right, <laughs> I actually saw on the internet, you know, the Google search thing, people were asking, is Icarus in the Bible? That's maybe something for a separate sermon. That story's not in the Bible, but it does illustrate very well a biblical truth. God has given you some wings. He's put them together very smartly. Now, don't fly too low. Don't get to one extreme and think, well, I'll, I'm guaranteed to fall. No doubt I will fall, so I'm not even going to try. Don't go so low. You're guaranteed to end up drowning. Nor should you get so lifted up in your own head that I can handle anything. Nothing can ever take me down. You're guaranteed to go down. It's a non-biblical, very helpful illustration for sure. If you turn your attention to verse number 25, 
And the second thing I'd like to point out to you, how are the mighty fallen? Well, number one, they fall by getting lifted up, by thinking they cannot fall. You can. You can. Verse 25, how are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? Now, of course, David means this as a compliment. They, they as the old saying goes, died with their boots on. They died while fighting. They were busy with the battle and got hit by arrows. That's how they died. It was a kill shot. And we really can't hold that part of it against them. At least they died trying. Paul said this at the end of his life. I, I believe I've given yes on the bottom of your paper, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul went out fighting all the way to the end. This is just days before his life was taken by the emperor Nero and might the same be said of you when you get to the end of your life that you can say I I fought the good fight not I did it 10 years ago I, I fought all the way till now I've been fighting and I'll still fight until I have any until I have breath in my body I'm still going to fight Saul and Jonathan they didn't give up till it was completely over now granted as you fight the good fight of faith things are going to get rough There'll be some big challenges and it'll really take it out of you. It'll knock the wind out of you. Some brother or sister in church say something that really get under your skin, make you not want to come back. Some family member that should love you say something very hateful and man, just really suck your strength, deplete you of strength. And, and, and please understand, everybody's going to go through some challenges like that that is not unique to you everybody has that it's part of the battlefield it's part of life right as you try to serve the lord you're going to find out that not everybody appreciates what you're doing for christ even other christians won't understand it won't appreciate it and it might get discouraging can i just offer you this advice nobody can stay on the front lines forever when, when the battle gets very heated and you're on the front lines and you're dealing with stuff, you, you have to be engaged in the battle while it's right there on your doorstep. You can't ignore it, right? You can't just walk away. You have to deal with it. But also understand that you have a life, an entire lifetime of battles to fight. You can't stay on the front line forever. Feel no shame in pulling back and taking a break. Here's what I want to say. Point two... Point two, why are the, how are the mighty fallen? Losing interest. Losing interest. Now, let me, I've already explained a little bit, but I want to kind of tease that out a little more. Here's what I mean by losing interest. People get on the front lines, they're fighting hard, and one battle after another, one challenge after another, and they go, okay, I'm a mighty man. I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to keep doing it for God. Press on, press on, press on. They start to get tired. They start to get weak. And they go, you know what? I've been doing this every day over and over again. Oh, this is just too much for me. Uh, you know what? This is getting boring. It's the same old stuff every day. I'm starting to lose interest. Because when they, when they signed up for Christianity, they were not told it's going to be an ongoing battle. The reason they joined is because there was a very kind group of people that accepted them in was like a social club and that group offered very entertaining activities and they said man this looks great but as soon as some challenges were presented and listen you're going to have to make some sacrifices and it's not always going to be easy 
And then they, okay, well, this part of it, and they get on the front line, they go, okay, but wait, I didn't sign up for this. And, oh, here, I didn't sign up for this. And you know what? I, I don't want this as a part of my life. There's got to be an easier way to deal with this. And they quit in the midst of the battle. That's where I'm getting verse 25. These guys died in the midst of the battle. They died fighting. That's commendable. Other people, they lose interest in the battle because it's really not the most important thing to them. And they think, why am I fighting this? I'd much rather put my time and attention somewhere else. I'm tired of this. I've been on the front lines of this too long. I'm going to back off and go somewhere else. There's no shame in stepping back, catching your breath, so that, as they say, you can live to fight another day. That just makes sense. Please don't feel any shame in backing off, recouping, and then getting back in the fight. But that's, you have the long look. You're thinking of how, how do I endure unto the end? Other folks just go as far and as fast as they can for a little while, but they have no intention of finishing the battle. You know, when people came to Jesus while he was on the earth and said, Master, I'll follow thee whithersoever thou goest. You know what his response was? He didn't say, oh, great, here's a membership card and just tithe once a month. We got this and this activities and you'll love it here with us. We're a great group of people. He didn't respond like that. You know what Jesus would say? Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He would explain to them the challenges involved. Listen, this is not going to be easy. You want to be my disciple? Boy, Mother's Day, why did... You want to be my disciple? Hate. Then you have to hate father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children. Don't you know that that, was, that didn't sound attractive to some people? It probably pushed some people away. But it was right. It was the truth. Now listen, hate, lest you misunderstand that, not in the sense that you be angry and mistreat them. Hate, biblically, love and hate is I put this first and everything else comes second. Jesus says, you want, to be my, you want to be my disciple? Then love God and everybody else comes second. Even your mom. Even your dad. Even your wife. Your kids. God first. And that means at some point, there's going to be a sacrifice involved. Jesus wanted people to know, if, if you want to be a disciple, this is what it's going to cost. It's not always going to be easy. If you want to join in now, sit down and count the cost before you start building that tower. A lot of people get the tower going, but then after a while they lose interest. Do I really want to finish building this tower? This is going to get hard. I got to sacrifice, you know, resources and time to build it up nice and strong. Can't I just go do some other easier project that requires much less of me? Timothy explained it like or Paul explained it to Timothy like this. I put it on your paper, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ it's one thing to endure hardness because you're a human being every human being endures hardness everyone it's another thing to endure hardness as a soldier a good soldier of Jesus Christ so consider yourself forewarned if you're going to get into this battle this spiritual battle know that we expect on a daily basis that you put on the armor of God, that you keep God first and everything else second, that when sacrifices are necessary, that you make those things, that you step up to those challenges. We don't condemn you at all for stepping back to catch your breath, but bless God, get back in the fight and keep pressing on. 
How are the mighty fallen? Because they didn't know what a great sacrifice it would be. And therefore they lose interest because it's not the most important thing to them. I told you last week about a man named Jack Wood. I gave you the anecdote of him pulling out his pistol and putting it on the pulpit. And he was a very quirky man in that way. But a lot, a lot of things that I very much respected about him. Brother Wood got say he was a cowboy. I mean, a real cowboy. Like he went to South America to drive cattle from one country to another. Not like drive in a, in a semi-truck. Drive like he was on the horse driving the cattle. Somebody attacked him. He killed the man and was sent to prison in South America. The president of the United States had to issue an extradition to get him out. Jack Wood's wife went to the White House to make that happen. This was before he was saved. Brother Wood got back to America. He got saved, and God, of course, saved him out of a rough, rough life. And Brother Wood went out to those people that he was familiar with. He started winning drug dealers, thugs, hit men, prostitutes. That was his crowd. He'd win them to Christ left, right, and center. He had a church. About half his church was made up of folks coming out of that kind of background. And Brother Wood, you know, I mean, he's a rough guy, but made him very comfortable with the idea of a spiritual battle. That was, he felt very at home with that. And Brother Wood, when he was coming near the end of his life, he was dying of cancer, he was laying in his bed, and as, as I heard the story, he's laying there dying, he would turn his head to the side because he couldn't breathe when he turned his head to the side, and his wife would turn his head back straight. And then he'd turn his head to the side again. He couldn't breathe. And, you know, he'd start choking. He'd pull his head up straight again. He'd say, woman, let me die. <laughs> Just a rough character. A man's man. At one time, pulled his head back straight. And then it's as if I... <laughs> wow, I can't believe he did this. Pulled his head back up straight. And he said, honey. And he's talking to one of his daughters. Honey get my boots get my boots put my boots on here he is laying in bed he said put my boots on they, they put his boots on none of the other outfit just the boots put my boots on he said alright daddy we got your boots on he said I wanted to die with my boots on <laughs> now you know, are you familiar with that phrase to die with your boots on means you die doing something you die active you die fighting he said, I wanted to die with my boots on. And he did. He literally died with his boots on. And I hope that can be said of you. Listen, I, I know the battle's going to get tough, and there's going to be times that you feel like, listen, pressing on, doing things God's way, keeping him first. I don't always feel like it. You got to have your boots on. You got to just keep pressing on. You got to know that it's part of discipleship. Don't get into the midst of the battle and say, this is enough. Keep on the firing line. How are the mighty fallen? Verse 27 might help us a little bit more. How are the mighty fallen? David said, and the weapons of warfare, or I'm sorry, the, the weapons of war perished. Part three on your outline. We've already talked about lifted up, losing interest. And number three, lay down the sword. Lay down the sword. How are the mighty fallen? What would cause the mighty to fall? Those that once fought the battle valiantly. Why are they now retreating in defeat? Because they laid down their weapon. Now there's actually a very interesting backstory to this statement. 
Uh, if you would, just hold your place here. Come back a few pages. 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. And would you look with me in verse 17? Uh, no, forgive me. Verse 19, that's it. Verse 19. 1 Samuel 13, verse 19. I want you to know the backstory behind the weapons that Saul and Jonathan had. Verse 19 says, Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. Do you see the enemy's tactic? Take away the smiths, the people that could build or shape a sword or spear. That way the, our enemy, our opponent, has no weapon. Verse 20, But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his mattock, even the farming equipment. The Israelites had to go to their enemy to get that stuff sharpened. That's embarrassing. Verse 21, Yet they had a file. The Israelites had a file for the mattocks and for the coulters and for the forks and for the axes to sharpen the goads, just to keep the points nice and pointy. They had just, just a file for that, but you're not going to get a lot done with just a file. Verse 22, So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and with Jonathan, his son, was there found. Shame on Saul. What a, what a sad testimony that although he personally had a weapon he did not prepare anybody following him for the battle none of them had a weapon now when you get to the uh, to the end of Saul's life we would like to think that the story changed because the armies of Israel were out fighting you'd like to think that they eventually found some sort of weapon but we never read about the rest of Israel taking a weapon. You know what I found about this story and how it correlates to our day and age? In a lot of pulpits, the man in the pulpit has a sword, but he, he doesn't give that sword to the people and prepare them and say, here, you need this for the battle. I want to teach you how to hold it. I want to teach you how to sharpen it. You don't need to go to the enemy to get it sharp, and you certainly don't need to go to them to, to find a, a wisdom for your life and a battle plan. Here's what you need. And God help us from this mentality that the only person that should have a weapon is the leader in the pulpit. That's not how we fight the battle. You go home with the weapon. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, is it not? And as soon as any soldier puts down his weapon, the enemy has now won. My job as a leader in this church is to equip you with your spiritual weaponry. Do you know when you read through the list of the armor of God, there's only one offensive piece of armor there's only one weapon in the list only one and that's a sword and it's the word of God it's the Bible we do not believe that the Bible existed in the first century of Christianity when the apostles wrote it and it was the original manuscripts and now that we've lost those we no longer have a Bible I believe you have a Bible sitting in your lap or in your hands right now I believe you have the words of God right there in your lap I believe they can be in any language it's not limited to English or Greek or Hebrew even Afrikaans Okay, everybody laughed. No amens. Everybody laughed. 
It can be in Sichuan, it can be in Chiche, it can be, in, God can communicate in any language and that weapon you have in your hands, that's what's gonna enable you to overcome any enemy that comes your way. Any enemy. It's my job not to walk around with a big shiny sword sharpened in my sheath. You understand the sheath, that's that little, ha- that thing hanging from the belt that holds the sword. It's not my job to walk around and look at, look at my big sword and my sheath. Bless God, I, you know, I'm a preacher. I got a sword. Look at this. For most people, it's just a decoration. That's not my job, not to show it off. My job is to show you how to hold it, how to handle it, and how to hang on to it. And when I say hold it, I don't mean like in your two hands. <laughs> I mean like this, holding it close and dear. Oh God, this is my Bible. It's my Bible. I love this one. This copy of it is mine. You can't have it. (laughs) I've had a rule in my house for years. Nobody gets to touch my Bible unless they ask first. (laughs) Honey, isn't that the rule? You know why? It's my Bible. (laughs) If a page gets torn, I cry. And if you tear a page, (laughs) (laughs) you better run, man. And don't run that race with patience. I'm coming. (laughs) Hold it, handle it, hang on to it. Don't give up on it. David said the weapons of war have perished. What would cause that to perish? There's a few ways you might understand that. If the enemy takes your weapon out of your hand, the weapon of war has perished. If the enemy takes it out of your hand, if he destroys your faith in it and says, well, yeah, you, you were told it's a sword, but no... That sword's not going to work. It's just a paper sword. Well, as soon as you lose confidence that that sword is going to be able to protect you, you set it down. Why hold on to it if it's not going to help me, if I can't apply it, if I can't understand it? And God help us, God save us from pastors that stand up and say the Word of God has mistakes in it. We don't need the Bible for today. All we need is the Spirit of God. Just follow the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God led those men to write these things and preserved it for us. This is the sword of the Spirit. We cannot divorce the Spirit from the Word. They go together. If the enemy can convince you to put it down, then it's perished. I'll tell you another thing that would cause it to perish. If you melt it down and turn it into something else. Say, what do you mean by that? You can take a very sharp two-edged sword, melt that down, turn it into a nice soft spoon. Here you go, nice easy spoon. Just sit there, open up, open up. Have you ever fed a baby? Have you ever fed a baby? You know what you do? We always open our mouth too. All right, open up. And when the baby closes, we close, right? Isn't that strange? It's the strangest. Okay. You can melt it down and turn it into something else. I don't want to melt down your Bible. I don't think we need to re- redo it. I think it's fine just the way it is. I think it works just the way it is. See, I don't understand all the words. Then get a dictionary. <laughs> Isn't that a novel thought? Get a dictionary. You don't understand the words in the updated versions. <laughs> no, you don't. You're going to need a dictionary to read a South African law book. Or a lot more help. (laughs) 
You need a book to read a newspaper these days. You need a dictionary to read a newspaper. You're going to need you're going to need outside help no matter which version you got. Get a version that's perfect and pure and sharp. I like what A.W. Tozer said. He said, "Reading some of these newer versions is like shaving with a banana." <laughs> It doesn't get the job done. I want something that when I read it, it cuts. Don't dumb the Bible down to my level. Smarten me up to the Bible's level. Amen? Otherwise, we're causing the weapon itself to perish. We don't need to do that. A lot of these modern translations, it's not actually a translation. It's a commentary. They're telling you what they think that should say instead of actually translating what the words are. Causes the words to perish. I'll tell you another way that you can cause the weapon, the weapon of our warfare to perish. This, this sword is it, real simple. Just don't use it. Just don't use it. You know what, what happens when somebody passes away? We bury them, and then they stay in that spot, right? There they are. They've perished. You know what happens when you take your sword and put it in the sheath and don't pull it out? Corpse, grave, and it just stays there. Now, if you never take it back out, I'm just assuming that you think it perished and you had to bury it. (laughs) It's time you maybe have a resurrection (laughs) and pull that sword out of its sheath, pull it out of its tomb. Don't hide it any longer and use it the way God intended you to use it. Not to go out and just kill and destroy and thump people over the head with it, but to actually uh, let it work in your life. God's word will not return void. I'll give you this thought as we close. In 2 Samuel, David lists out his mighty men. Maybe you've read this in chapter 23. He gives you a little taste of their story. And one man was named Eleazar. And I know him better, not as Eleazar, but as his daddy. He's Eleazar, the son of Dodo. <laughs> one preacher said, how do you know it's Dodo? Well, what, how else would you pronounce that, right? <laughs> D-O-D-O, it's Dodo. <laughs> Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahoahite. That's just a fun name to remember, but his story is even better. Because the Bible says he, he went out and fought massive amounts of men, hundreds of men. He took them on by himself. So just as a man, that's impressive. But the Bible says in one place that he was out fighting uh, hundreds of Philistines and he, he gripped onto his sword and was swinging the sword all day so that the end of the day when the battle was done it says his hand clave to the sword his hand had cramped up from holding the sword so tightly he could not let it go at the end of the day he couldn't set it down they had to come and peel Eleazar's fingers off that sword and by the grace of God that's how you'll find me that's how you'll find me Strangely enough, Lester Roloff, do we know this name? Lester Roloff, mighty man of God. He served God valiantly his entire life. He actually died in a plane crash. Long story behind why he was in a, he had his own plane, but much, much different than what you re- hear about with these TV evangelists. But Brother Roloff used to kid around. He said one day, because he, he flew so much to different me- preaching meetings, he said one day I know God's going to take me while I'm in that plane. And he said, uh, if, I, if I go in a plane crash, if that plane starts to have problems and I got to jump out, I'm going to jump out with my Bible and hold it as a parachute. 
You know, I don't want to go down in the plane. I'll just jump out and, and, and see if it'll work as a parachute. Now, he was kidding, right? Obviously, he doesn't think the Bible's going to turn into a parachute. But you know what I like about that idea? I'm not letting go to the very end. If there's anything that I want to hang on to until the end, I'm going to hang on to this precious book that God's giving me. It is going to help me fight this battle all the way to the end. How are the mighty fallen? Well, sometimes they get lifted up. Sometimes they lose interest. They didn't know what they were getting into when they started. They had no plan to finish. And sometimes it's because they laid down the sword. Battle's not over. Pick that weapon up, that spiritual weapon, and let that thing powerfully work in your life. If we all would, please stand with me. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed for a few moments. As the music plays, I'd like to ask you a couple questions, give you something to think about. Before we ask the question, have you fallen? Might we ask, have you ever qualified as a mighty man? Is there any reason we would look at your life and go, there stands a mighty man of God? It's not about how many battles you win, to be honest. It's about how many you fight. And what I mean by that is how hard you try. Have you tried? It's not the job of Saul and Jonathan alone to stand and fight. You, dear friend, you have been called upon to take on the whole armor of God. Did you put it on today? Are you going to take it off as soon as you get home? When's the last time you took that sword out of its sheath and actually put it to use in your life? Said, this situation demands this verse. This person I just met with, that verse tells me how to deal with them. This business deal, there's a verse in Proverbs that helps me with it. Have you used it? first question is would we consider you mighty I think a better way to say that is would God consider you mighty and secondly are you still fighting that good fight because maybe at one time you you did put in the effort maybe you've lost interest maybe you set down the weapon no shame in backing off and catching your breath do you have plans to re-engage we need more good soldiers for Jesus Christ will you enlist this morning Lord sign me up I want to see some action I want to die with my boots on Father, thank you this morning for speaking to my heart, and I, I pray that this is the same for the people that have come this morning. You've spoken to their hearts, and you've maybe highlighted a thing or two 
that can be done, done differently, done more or less of, something that needs to change so that they can fight this good fight. Lord, sometimes we do get tired. Sometimes we get distracted, God, and we're sorry. Help us, Lord. We want to be balanced, but we, we want to be consistent. We, Lord, we don't want to take a break and never get back to the fight. We even want our breaks to be pleasing to you. God, I pray you'd raise up more Christian soldiers, men and women, that will fight the good fight. Please protect us from that falling, Lord. We're all susceptible to it. It's possible. We don't want to, though, Lord. Help us to stand strong for you. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.